0: Good morning everyone, and uh, to those that are watching streaming, it's great to be with you. Um, you, uh, you have no idea how wonderful it is to see all these different faces and to, uh, to have some visitors with us, uh, folk that are here for the first time, we want you to know that we really um, are grateful that you get to spend this day with us, or this part of the day, and I'm just taking a quick gander at the clock there. We are um, starting out, we're not starting, we're continuing our One Thessalonian series, I think we're in week four or five or something like that, and I'm going to be um, preaching this morning, uh, I'm entitled Now We Really Live, and I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 to 13. Let me pray, and then we'll get into that this morning. Father, we never want to take for granted the privilege of coming into your presence, of uh, imitating the early church that devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching, and to prayer. We never want to forget that we're connected to a story that goes back to the very creation of this world and to mankind. And Lord, it's a story of your redeeming love for a people that have fallen. And as we come to your word today, we come to a a letter that you've written to your people. uh, A story that you have told to remind us of what is true and what is real and what matters, Lord God. And I pray that as we come to your word today, our hearts will be open to receive what you have to say. I pray that we would not go through the motions. I pray that we would be um, deeply invested in this moment. And we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and take uh, these words and use them to adjust our life today. That we would be instruments in your hands, Lord God. We thank you that through the gospel and through our faith in your finished work, Lord Jesus, that we have been adopted as your children. And with such an incredible sense of gratitude, we want to say, Lord, what can we do? How can we play a part? How can we um, be a part of advancing the kingdom? And, uh, and so that more and more, would hear this incredible message of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So reading from verse 6 through to 13, Paul writing and he says this. But Timothy has just now come to us from you. And has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, (coughs) excuse me, that was loud. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones I had a boss um, at Deloitte's a company I used to work, work for they used to say to me I want you to come to work because you want to come to work he says I want you to I want what you do to blow your hair back or to float your boat have you ever heard those sayings before what floats your boat what blows your hair back what makes you feel really alive and i'm sure for most of you it's not going to work i'm sure that's not the, the pinnacle of your of your moment of your uh, your year or your life uh, maybe it's maybe for some of you it is though maybe it's signing that deal that once in a lifetime deal for the company that you've built that like and you just you finish the day and you go wow i feel so alive at this moment maybe it's going hiking uh, we've got a range of mountains in South Africa called the Drakensberg and we did this one hike right to the top and we stood at the top of this mountain looking out over the, the valley and, and it was an incredible moment. Maybe it's a, a perfect wave that you catch or a night with amazing friends and delicious food or, or for some of you something more meaningful like the day your children were born or, um, or the day you got married. There goes Angela's bottle again. <laughs> And um, for me it was the day that I got married. I can remember so clearly Linda walking down the aisle and I had told you before I had this massive grin on my face and I knew that I looked like an idiot and uh, like one of those cartoon characters with a smile from ear to ear and I kept saying, stop smiling so much to myself in my head, but I couldn't help it because my bride was walking down the aisle and I literally knew that the life that I'd lived which is one way was gonna transform into something completely different from that moment onwards and a wonderful thing obviously. And uh, in this letter that we've been reading, uh, we see Paul express what his now I really live moment is. And he says it's this, when the believers are standing firm in the faith. He, uh, and, and you wonder, what kind of man is this? What kind of ministry is Paul involved in that his like um, now I really live moment is that the church that he's planted and the believers that he's invested in are standing firm in the Lord. And this this letter gives us an insight into the, the heart of this apostle. In, in fact, I think the heart of, into the apostolic heart. And uh, that's really important. It comes through in all of Paul's letters, but it probably comes through more in this letter, I think, than any other. And it's, there's a, a friend of ours, there's um, a company in our church that actually used to be in his church in Singapore by the name of Ian McKellar. He still leads the church there. And uh, he writes about this particular verse and he says um, that as we understand Paul's heart, we see a strategy emerge. That as you see the heart of Paul, you see, this, you see not only the apostolic heart, but the apostolic strategy for the church as well. And uh, it's true. As we, as we look at that verse um, 8, verse 6 of chapter 3, as we, sorry, verse 8, we, when he says that now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord, as we understand that motive and we read his letters, we begin to see a pattern emerging for how? Paul intends to get to that place where believers are standing firm. We were praying this morning as we started for Lebanon, and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen some of those shocking videos that came from that explosion. And um, there's one video that um, a pastor friend of mine sent to me, and uh, just somebody in his congregation that had actually taken the video. And, you know, while he's videoing then you can see, man, because you know what's coming. I've seen the other videos. You know he's standing too close, and this is not going to end great. But... Um, what struck me was this fire is kind of going up. If, you, if you've seen the video, it's beginning, going like this. And there's the road ahead of him, at the end of the road. There are cars just driving backwards and forwards like this. And people are just on, they're just doing their thing. They're just driving to work or driving home from work or um, dropping kids off at school or, you know, running an errand or something like that. They've got no expectation that anything would be happening. And suddenly, that fire turns into this shockwave that comes straight at him like this and just in. in split second it just sweeps over that road and this guy's car it seems like this his car tips over like this and he's got the camera and he ended up in hospital as well and i was struck by how um, how our lives can change in an absolute second in, in a in a moment like things that we think are guaranteed can just turn in a moment and so paul carries this desire like like i want you to be established in the gospel i got i got thinking about that as well i saw that video and then i um, I saw another um, a short teaching on the rapture, the, the second coming of Christ, which is, we're going to get into in the series as well and preach about. But that moment when the Bible says when we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye as we caught up to be with Christ, and we don't know when Jesus will return. The Bible says he will come like a thief in the night. We, we don't know when that moment will be. And so there's a, I, I kind of felt myself with the same apostolic desire to see people established um, firmly in the Lord, that, that, that are, we're not wandering to and fro, but we've settled our hearts and we're following Jesus Christ and Him completely. And as we have a look at that this morning, I hope that what comes out of here is a model of ministry or of church life and of church vision that maybe you've seen, I hope, lived out in the world of life, because we, we want to live that out. And, um, um, and for some of you, because we, we come from all sorts of different backgrounds here in, in uh, Dubai, don't we? For some of you that have come out of a denomination or come out of independent churches, it might seem a little different to what you're used to. But Will of Life was planted almost 20 years ago now. It seems quite crazy to think about that. 20 years ago um, it was established and it was planted as part of an apostolic move um, that wanted to express that same heart and that same strategy. From the outset, this church was planted to be a, a base or a hub that would partner with uh, this apostolic move to, to fulfill the mandate of God to make disciples of all nations. And uh, if you don't know what a base church is or a hub church is, it's simply as a church, to, uh, to use uh, the countercultural words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that uh, exists primarily for the benefit of its non members. Derek Bonhoeffer says the church is the only organizational entity that does not exist for the well-being of its members, but of its non-members. Isn't that an amazing picture? That we're not yet to make sure that you're all happy, and, and obviously we are. We care for you. We love you. But, we, but, but part of our care for you is that we'll actually, through this care, reach the nations around us. John Wesley said, the world is my parish. He was, he was countering an argument that you need to focus on, on, on that parish and stop going out there to preach the gospel. And he said, the world is my parish, and it is ours as well. And in this season that we end as well of Life, we continue with this same vision, the same desire to be in partnership, and in an apostolic partnership to reach the nations of the world. And at the moment, we walk that out um, with a group that we, um, a movement, an apostolic movement that we're calling Genesis Collective. And many of you... Um, we'll have met um, Chris and Merrill then last year, which seems like a million years ago. We had uh, we had that um, uh, D- D- Dubai collective time here, where, um, Chris and a number of the, the the guys that are partnering with us came out, and we had a, a few days of teaching, and it was an amazing time. And uh, that's we are continuing to, to express that as part of that partnership as well. We sang this morning um, th- that song that we started off with that. Um beautiful song about God's care for us and his blessing over us and then that line amen 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 and um, I think most of you know what amen means it's one of those words that's transliterated and it it means so be it Lord let it be and uh, it's a great word when somebody's preaching for you to use because what you're saying when you say it is um, let it be Lord so when something is preached that is clearly true and it's and the Holy Spirit impacts you with it. And you say, whether it's under your breath, in your heart, or out loud, amen. It means, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm a, it means, in a sense, I'm taking that word for myself. I'm appropriating it right now. But there are some moments when it's not appropriate when somebody's preaching to say amen. There's some times when it's not exactly clear of, of, of what the implications are for your life. The better question, or the better thing to say is, so what? And sometimes while I'm preaching, you should be shouting out, so what, Rob? So what? what so what difference does it make that Well of Life Church is a part of an apostolic partnership? What difference does it make that we're a base church or a hub church that, uh, that has this, this um, desire to carry the same heart and strategy um, as Paul? And I actually, friends, it makes a massive difference because it impacts how we do church. It impacts why we do church. I think most of you know that uh, the church is not meant to exist as a babysitting service for expats who can live their best life while they're here in Dubai and actually get to attend church on the non-brunch Fridays. Is there such thing as a non-brunch Friday? I don't know. But, but when, you haven't fi- when, you know, when you've missed your booking for brunch, say, oh, well, let's go to church. You know, let's let's kind of keep things going here. That's not what the church is for. The church is here to, and we are here, you are here to transform nations. That's what you're here for. And uh, this is fulfilled by by us as a church, discipling and equipping the believers so that they can be the instruments of God in transforming the world around us. And we've got some amazing examples of this. Um, uh, Wayne and Angela are sitting in the front here on eldership with us now. Um, We're part of World of Life, actually almost from the very beginning. And somewhere along their journey, um, God moved them to Abu Dhabi. It was a work transfer for Wayne. And Wayne went down there and um, uh, went and Angela and their family and and God just began to gather people around them and so they um, found themselves planting a church in Abu Dhabi that's what happened and this other couple that come into the church Matt and Rana had um, by Matt's own um, description of it were, were not all that impressed and um, you know serious about the things of God Matt was a Welshman a journalist a journalist i think yeah and rana is a lebanese lady that sold mercedes benzes if i remember correctly here in dubai and they come into this church and uh what's that bmw's bmw's same thing um and they're just cars and um and god gripped them and uh and turned them around from being whatever about the kingdom of god to being the kingdom of god is everything and in time um, moved them down to abu dhabi and they ended up um Taking over that church that when Andrew planted and leading it into what God has for it today, and now today Cornerstone is a significant church in Abu Dhabi um, uh, with with its own sphere of influence around it. And we've seen other churches planted. Fred and Vanessa Delay, um, who both actually weirdly worked for me in, at Deloitte when I was in Durban, have gone from well of life. He you had know, plant a church in Paris. Bossy and Lee have planted a church in Bahrain. Um, and there's others as well. Uh, Brad and Faradilla went to go plant a church in the Gold Coast in Australia. Bertus and Diesel recently have planted a church up in Russell, Kamer, and, um, and, and it continues now. I was on a, a call the other day with a global church planters cohort, and we've got a few couples in our, um, in our church that are doing that. These are people that are saying that maybe within the next year to two years, we would plant a church, and so we wanna be prepared. Over 10 months, they're gonna be stirred up and prepared. And one of those couples is um, Jack and Denise Naidu and, and they, uh, I was listening to their story as they kind of went through all the couples. They all shared their stories this week. And I can remember, Jack and Denise, if you're watching this, when you first arrived at Well of Life Church, you know, when you talk about people that are on the periphery, they were kind of hanging in onto church, just on the edge of church. They were just, they were there, but like, it was like they were getting on with their own life. And then suddenly I can, I could almost remember the, the situation that caused it to change, It changed like this. And when we had that Genesis Collective Conference here um, last year, November, October, whatever it was, when Chris started off the meeting, he said, why don't you stand up or put your hands up if you think God might ever use you to plant a church. And their hands were firmly parked in their pockets like this. But by the end of the three days, when he asked the question again, they, with many others who had not said yes in the beginning, put their hands up and said, actually, we think God might be able to use us. And in a few not even a few months now, probably in several weeks' time now, they're going to move to Holland for work. And they've said, God, won't you use us to plant a church where you plant us so that your kingdom can keep going? And that's what the church is meant to do. And Ian McKellar, when he speaks about this verse, speaks about seven strategies that in his view emerge, that you can see emerge from the letters of Paul as to how we can be an apostolic people. And uh, I hope as I share some of these with you in the time that I have left this morning, is that it becomes a, a, a picture, like a, the piece of the puzzle that come together. It's a picture that stirs you and sets your heart to light for what God has called us to. The number one strategy of Paul is taking cities for God. You know, this, this story of uh, Paul in Thessalonica didn't start in Acts 17 where where we read for the first time him being in that city. It actually starts in Acts chapter 16. Paul has been trying to go preach the gospel in Asia and the Holy Spirit said no don't go there and he he tries to go to Bithynia and the Holy Spirit says don't go there and then he has this vision of a a man from Macedonia which is the area that uh, Thessalonica um, is in and he says this is the man in the vision stands, stands up and goes come here and help us. I don't know what a What a Macedonian man looks like but come here and help us he says and I love the way they respond in chapter 16 in verse 10 and 12 it says and when Paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go into Macedonia don't you love that the minute the vision comes there's an immediate response to it so setting sail from Troas we we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony and if you continue reading Acts chapter 16, you'll see that after they'd done the work of planting the church in Philippi, their next destination straight after that was Thessalonica, and which is actually the capital city of that province. Why did Paul do that? Why without any other instructions other than come help us, why didn't he stop along, all along the way and preach the gospel everywhere? I'm sure wherever he did stop for a night, he did preach the gospel. But why did he go directly to the two main cities it's because cities are strategic in the gospel. Listen to this quote from Raymond Beck. He says this, a, church, a city church can have 10 or more countries in its membership. Isn't it wonderful that we can boast 40 or more countries in our membership? But, uh, but in a normal city, unlike an extraordinary city like Dubai, a city church can have 10 or more countries in its membership. City churches are worldwide webs of relationships that link back to family or colleagues in sending countries where the ministry is underground or mushrooming right now. See, you are a connection back to your nation, to a city or a city where God might call you on to where the gospel needs to go. Clifford Hill goes on to take it further when he says this, the cities hold the key to world evangelization. And we can only reach populations if our vision of God is great enough to embrace people of all races and cultures. And just look around the hall today at the different races and cultures that are gathered here. And uh, you can't do that at home, but uh, we'll tell you there's plenty that are before us right now. And, and embracing that is not just because we want to be a multicultural church, and I, and I love the multiculturalness of it, but it's because we want to reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How Paul would have loved to have worked in this city. Can you imagine? And we must never forget the strategic reason why we planted here. And you might think, well, Rob, I'm just the guy coming to church. But I've told you already, we're not babysitting expats. We're preparing world changes. And so it doesn't matter who you are, that's the reason why you're here. Number two is team ministry. Um, Chapter 3 and verse 6 says this. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. And I love the picture of team here. There were, there were others that were in the team, but, um, but we know that Timothy held a special place, obviously, in Paul's heart. And he's the one that's mentioned here. And in another letter that Paul wrote to another Macedonian church, the church in Philippi, and Paul talks about his relationship with Timothy. And he, and he, says, he says things like this. He's like, I trust Timothy. I can send Timothy to you because I trust him. And Timothy is a faithful man. He, he represented Paul's world. He, um, he actually says, that uh, Paul says, he served me like a, like a son in the faith working hard in the gospel. And um, what we see here is this incredible um, picture of teaming together. It's not hierarchy. There is leadership and there is submission. Paul clearly is the leader of this work. And, uh, you know, he's the one that sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, and then Timothy comes back to him with the report. But but that leadership and submission, that team working together, it's not a value judgment. It's not like one is, like, really important, somebody's, like, you know, not important. Nowhere in Paul's letters do we get the impression that Paul thinks he's better than, above anybody else, or more important than anybody else. And I want to say that's true of us as we work together as a team. There is nobody here that is not important. And you might think, well, Rob, you're just saying that. This is in the word of God. It's part of the language of scripture that everybody has a role to play. And um, in the picture we see here is neither hierarchy or democracy, but, but team and family. That, that, that family language comes throughout the letter. You remember in chapter 2, um, Paul writing about him and his team and how they were ministering to the church in Thessalonica. And he said to them, we were like, we were like a mother with you. We were like a father with you. And um and there's this mutuality, not just within the team, Paul and those that are working with him, but between Paul's team and that local church. And that's why Paul can say in verse six, We long you long to see us just as we long to see you. This is deeply relational ministry. And um, you know, some people might object and say, Well, Rob, the moment you speak about leadership and submission, you're talking about hierarchy. But actually. If you take that word submission it comes from two words that literally together when they put together literally mean bringing into order to bring into order and i love ian McKellar's rendering of that word um, in the new test how he kind of describes it for the new testament it's this playing on the same team as that's what it means to submit to play on the same team as isn't that a great picture for marriage maybe when we say our marriage vows one of the vows should be babes i promise said so you know that we win together And we lose together because that's what it means to be on team together maybe that is what we are saying when we say for better or for worse but there's that same covenantal relationship between us we win together and we lose together that's what it means for there to be leadership joyful sacrificial servant-hearted leadership and joyful sacrificial voluntary submission into that leadership as well and the God has um, given us a vision that we work out together It's a vision that is articulated and guarded by the elders and set alight by the the, uh, the Ephesians 14, the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers that he gives to work with us. Thirdly is perseverance. Um, Chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. These are such unusual days. I got, um, so there's a coronavirus, which is crazy. Um, obviously, people are losing jobs, and um, the economies and countries are dipping. It's more and more difficult, especially the poorer the country, for people to make ends meet and to um, supply food for themselves. And then last night, I get this um, the videos for coming in from India, all around India, of, of flooding that's taking place there now with the rains. Uh, and I mean, it's crazy. Lynn and I were watching the videos just thinking, oh God, these poor people. Like, on top of this, this other thing begins to take place now. And uh, people standing there, and literally the water is pouring through the kitchen window over their few appliances, down like this, into their bedroom and out the door and down carrying on down, and literally flooding through their homes like this. And, and the ladies are standing shivering like this in the, in the cold as this water runs through. or maybe fear I don't know what they're shivering from. But the, the truth is is that in this life, um, it is difficult anyway, but as we pursue the purposes of God, as Paul attests that we will face affliction and persecution and um, Earlier in June, I preached a message on power and powerlessness, and I, and I shared the story about this lady, Helen Roosevelt, who's become a, a bit of a heroine of the faith for me, and uh, actually, I just re- got delivery of her book, which I'm going to start reading soon. And she told the story about how she was brutalized um, as she was a young missionary in the mission field um, you know, f- 60 years ago. And uh, when she was talking to God about the, how painful and how difficult it was, God's answer to her which is quite a, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it haunts me actually a little bit, it shakes my world when I see this answer, was this. You asked me when you were first converted for the privilege of being a missionary. This is it. Don't you want it? These are not your sufferings, they're mine. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. And one of the strategies of Paul's is that we will persevere no matter what the cost is to see the gospel go out. And for most of us, the cost is going to not be Um, nearly as as severe as what Helen Roosevelt went through and and what um, Paul went through. But many of us retreat even from the slightest cost, the slightest price that's paid for us to fulfill the call of God upon our lives. And part of the apostolic heart and strategy is that we persevere in the face of any challenge that comes our way. And I know that doesn't seem very encouraging to tell you that you're going to have hardship coming your way, but how much... Uh, more discouraging it is to be told that it's all going to be easy and it turns out that it's not easy and uh, rather set yourself and Jesus' own brother warns us that we're to to rejoice when we face trials because they they produce perseverance in us and he finishes and says this he says for you know that your faith when your faith is tested your endurance has a chance to grow so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed you'll be perfect and complete and uh, needing nothing Fourthly, and I'm gonna land in a couple of minutes, is local and translocal working together. In chapter three, verse 10 and 11, Paul says, as night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. If you know Paul, it's strange to read those words because Paul was obsessed with taking the gospel to places where it hadn't been heard. It was like, why would he be so anxious to get back to this group of believers when there were other places where the gospel hadn't yet been preached? He preached in Macedonia. It's kind of like, you almost think like, wonderful, I've done that. Now we're going to go and do the next thing. And it wasn't only because Paul had a deep affection and desire to be with those people. There was a, he, he actually loved those people. He had grown to love them deeply in the short time that he'd been with them. But he also understood that he couldn't do what God had called him to do, even with that group of men and women that traveled with him, he couldn't do it alone. He needed the local church to fulfill what God had called him to do. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15 and 16, Paul writes this to another local church. He says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. And in in that letter to Philippians, Paul speaks about the the gospel and the partnership. Paul wasn't worried about APMI. Do you know what that is? Apostle Paul, Ministries International. He he wasn't worried about that. He wasn't worried about his name being remembered. And and, uh, we shouldn't be worried about... um, our church being remembered. We shouldn't be worried about um, the name of Well of Life. Uh, the worst possible vision I think a church can have, and there's some really bad ones, but the worst one is to be the biggest church in your city. And it's an appalling vision. Uh, our, it's not about us. It's not about our leaders. It's about the gospel. And the local church throws itself into this partnership with the, the apostles, who throw themselves into this partnership so that the gospel can get to the regions beyond and to the people that have not yet heard. The word of God. Lastly, um, the strategy of God is to release God's organic life. In uh, chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, may the Lord make your love increase. In verse 13, he says, may he strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. If I were to take this this stand here and uh, snap it in half which I'm not sure I could necessarily do with my skinny cycling arms, but if I were to do that and kind of snap it in half yeah, we wouldn't end up with two um, stands, we'd end up with one broken stand. But Linda has been growing succulents at home and she takes um, a part, I don't watch too carefully what she does, but I've seen some of it. She cuts off I think a leaf or something from the succulent and sticks it into a um, a, a thing of water, is that right? And uh, suddenly roots begin to grow out of this leaf because it's organic. And so it has a life, is an an inherent life in it. And Paul understood that the, the job is not to build organizations. It's not to take structure and put it somewhere. It's to take the life of Christ and to put it into a place. And when the life of Christ comes, then it can grow. And so this church, three weeks, Paul and his team were there, that's all. They took the cutting, they put it into this, this bowl of water, this, this jar, and they walked away, and they wondered, will it survive? And Paul writes there, may the Lord make your love increase. May the Lord strengthen your hearts, so that you be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when the Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. I want to finish with this quote from a, a man that I believe to be one of the apostles of our generation. His name is Terry Virgo and he led an um, apostolic movement called New Frontiers International. And he says this, if the church is to be on the move and fulfill its Christ-appointed commission, namely to make disciples of all nations, we need to re- rediscover a church life that is robust and vibrant and outward-looking with all-hands-on-deck mentality. Inspired, served, and instructed by apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. How wearing it is to hear our modern media discussing the role of the church today. For, today many, for many today, church life is dull and boring. An undemanding club to be attended with fairly nominal fees to be paid. Even charismatic churches are dismissed as merely gatherings of lightweight happy clappies. There is little awareness within the ranks or beyond that, that this group of people are on a world mission, joined to a vibrant network of similar groups around the world, served by apostles and prophets, who involve them in a global mission and remind them of the master's call. As the Father sent me, so I send you. God's word to us today is undoubtedly, let's go. Amen.